0: Good day. This is the 14th edition of the Free City Radio Podcast. Thanks for being with us. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you today. It is the 2nd of November 2020. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph. On the program today, I wanted to visit some discussions um, south of the Canada-US colonial borderline, given that the American election is taking place tomorrow. Also on the broadcast today I wanted to highlight an issue that is much farther from the headlines which is the issue of political repression and state violence happening in the Western African nation of Guinea. Uh, there was a presidential election there uh, just over a week ago and uh, a president, Alfa Condi, has declared a third term in office after changing the constitution. In response to that, there's been massive protests, not just since the election, but over the last year in Guinea. Um, here in Montreal, there is uh, a large guinean diaspora And also that includes uh, many asylum seekers who have left Guinea in the context of economic injustice and political violence who now face deportation. So over the weekend, I went to a community rally uh, organized by the Guinean Diaspora to uh, protest for the human rights of Guineans. And uh, I spoke with some people there. So we'll get to that a bit later. Thanks again for being with us today. Um, The first interview I wanted to share on the show is a conversation with a friend and a writer, political commentator based in Brooklyn, New York, Aaron Maté. Aaron um, has worked for many media outlets over the years and um, recently has been really trying to hone a critique uh, about the rhetoric of the Democratic Party in the United States, particularly since the election of Donald Trump around this argument that the 2016 election was lost as a result of Russian interference, um, Russian interference from the the state, the government of Russia. Now, I thought it would be interesting to have this conversation with Aaron and we've been exchanging, um, you know, over text, uh, over the last while about this, um, because I think that there's an interesting and important critique to be had that also relates to um, a lot of the critiques that were voiced by uh, the Bernie Sanders campaign towards the uh, Democratic Party uh, in, in the mainstream sense, which is that, in fact, a huge reason why the 2016 election was lost was not, in fact, due to um, the involvement of... Um, Russian, uh, propaganda or social media campaigns, but due to systemic issues around economic injustice, ones that, uh, the president now, president Trump was able to play to claiming to support the rights of working people. Um, so I thought it'd be important to talk to, to Aaron, um, to look at some of that, that political space in between, um, The urgency of getting Trump out of office, but also the shortcomings of the Democratic Party establishment. Um, So I'll leave it there. And I just wanted to share our conversation, which I recorded today, uh, Monday, the 2nd of November here in Montreal. I'm joined on the line by Aaron Maté, uh, who is a journalist and writer, um, hosts the show Pushback on The Grey Zone, and also writes for The Nation magazine, and is also a very healthy and wonderful human being and friend. <laughs> how you, how you doing, Aaron?
1: Hey, Stefan. Uh, thanks for that. You're a great friend, too. And you're also very healthy. Now, yeah yeah them, it's it's,
0: it's it's important um so these days you're you're so um i guess focused on a, a variety of issues um but i did see some of your uh, commentary in regards to um what had uh, been discussed heavily in the u.s media over the last couple of weeks which were around um sort of another wave of accusations um that somehow there was this very deep collaboration between the electoral campaign of Trump and uh, the Russian state uh, around um, uh, you know these these email emails from Joe Biden's kid, etc. Um, I, I I really appreciated some of the things you said not just about this particular incident, but more generally around the ways that these discussions are a distraction from some of the real issues that uh, people are facing in the United States. Um, So I was just wondering if if you could talk about this.
1: Well, it's just incredible how elite-centered all of our so-called scandals are and how the way these scandals play out they always serve the interests of people in power. So, you know, Russia has taken on this massive role in U.S. politics in 2016. And the reason why is because Russia was accused of stealing some emails from Hillary Clinton. And then when Hillary Clinton lost uh, the election, Russia was blamed. It was, everything was pinned on Russia, and we got bombarded with all this propaganda that Russian disinformation and social media bots had brainwashed Americans and turned people against each other and convinced them not to vote for Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton herself said that Russian social media ads convinced black people not to vote for her in Michigan. and That's partly why she lost. So it became this insane way for failed neoliberals to not take responsibility for their own failures, not take responsibility for their own complicity that allowed for a monster like Donald Trump to win an election and to avoid any serious transformation. You know, the obvious way to go, I think, for Democrats after 2016 was given that you had this fake anti-establishment candidate win in the name of uh, Trump, well, then why not pose a genuine anti-establishment alternative? And Barry had that with Bernie Sanders, who came close in 2016. But this Russia thing was about preserving power and privilege of neoliberal elites who would have been threatened by an honest reckoning with, with why they lost in 2016. So it also, meanwhile, dovetailed with the interest of national security state officials who don't want to have better relations with Russia. Trump was talking about that, and they undermined that by accusing him of being a Kremlin agent. And one product of that was to criminalize even further diplomacy with Russia, which is good for weapons manufacturers and the think tanks that they spend. But it's bad for the rest of us, I think, because one impact of Democrats accusing Trump of being a Russian agent is that there's been no actual uh, progressive force trying to push him in a less dangerous direction. So, in fact, his Russia policies have been extremely hawkish. He, you know, sent arms to Ukraine that Obama wouldn't send. He tore up. Uh, critical nuclear weapons treaties that that limit the arsenals of both countries it's a huge long list but all that has been ignored in the service of this communion Russia narrative and now it's continuing now where you know some embarrassing emails out about hunter biden i don't think they're like you know uh like game changing for the election i mean trump does uh plenty of corruption as well but they do show that hunter biden was leveraging his connections to his dad to try to get business and to make money. And instead of just honestly reckoning with what the emails show showed, all of this got reflexively labeled as Russian disinformation. And the whole media just went along with it to the point where even Facebook and Twitter were were preventing people from sharing articles on their platforms. So it's it's absurd and it's dangerous because it's not as if this will just be used against Trump. You know, it's going to mean that as soon as a progressive poses a threat to neoliberals, they're going to, you know, smear them and dismiss them as Russian dupes as well, which they've already done. They did it to Bernie Sanders, to some extent. They did it to Tulsi Gabbard when, you know, Hillary Clinton accused her of being a Russian asset. So this is a playbook that has been um, normalized amongst liberals under the guise of opposing Trump. But really, it serves some very anti-progressive interest, and the precedent is here, and it's not going away. And I think the more progressive challenge power in the U.S., the more this playbook will be used against them.
0: Okay, so there's a number of points there, Aaron. Um, could you just underline the um, decision by the United States to step away from the arms reduction treaty with Russia and why that's important? it wasn't covered that much um, in a deep sense by the media talk shows.
1: Yeah. And it's incredible, you know, like here you have this uh, really important nuclear arms treaty that was uh, signed by Obama and um, it's called new start. And it's, it limits a huge amount of nuclear weapons from both the U S and Russia, the world's top nuclear powers. So it's like, it's really important. And in the absence of a treaty like this, you will have a nuclear arms race. That's exactly what Trump is pushing towards, uh, pushing us towards right now. The treaty expires in February, and there's a provision under which it can be renewed unconditionally for five years. Russia was on board for that. Uh, a lot of people from the Obama administration like, were on board uh, with that. But the Trump administration, the ones in power, the ones who were being told are really Russian agents and doing Russia's bidding and won't stand up to Putin and all this stuff, they were against it. And it looks like they're going to kill it. Um, there, there's been talk about maybe a limited one-year extension, but it, as of right now, as we're talking, that's not happening. So if Trump wins, which I don't think he will, but in the event that he does, then that can mean that we lose the last treaty we have left limiting the nuclear weapons stockpiles of both countries. And that means a new arms race. And by the way, this happens after Trump already killed another uh, really important Cold War treaty, the INF treaty that was negotiated under Reagan and Gorbachev, which also limited a whole uh, stockpile of missiles. Trump killed that, but again, and that was hugely reckless and very hawkish. We don't hear about it because Democrats have moved so far to the right that you know, for them to challenge Trump on militarism, it's almost as, as if when they challenge him on militarism now, it's good for him being, in their view, insufficiently militaristic. And specifically for them to bring up this issue, it's a problem for them because it undermines their narrative that he's really a Russian duke. So this insane RussiaGate conspiracy theory has incentivized our part of our ruling class, the liberal ruling class. To look away from and ignore this reckless decision that literally put the future of the planet in peril. It's quite, it's just amazing.
0: There seems to be some sort of recognition of how far out there some of the claims around the relationship between the Trump victory and um, Russia have been. Uh, I found it really interesting the last few days, the New York Times put out that video about QAnon. And within it, they sort of talk about the ways that um, sort of within a time of crisis, people gravitate towards conspiracy theories. And within that video, they almost suggest that the uh, argument that Trump was elected on the basis of, you know, Russian support, is similar to a conspiracy theory. I was I was quite shocked that that video came out from the
1: New York Times. I don't know if you saw it. Oh, I didn't see it, but that, but that's that's a rare acknowledgement that a conspiracy theory that the New York Times has pushed relentlessly is now being recognized for what it is—a a stupid conspiracy theory. And you know, we talk a lot about QAnon, but what about BlueAnon? What about the conspiracy theory that Trump is really a Kremlin agent and that social media posts convince people. To not vote for Hillary Clinton. And these dumb social media ads, like if you've seen these things, but, but, but the yeah. Russian troll fund did, they're idiotic. It's like, it's like a buff Bernie meme and a Jesus arm wrestling meme. Most of them weren't even about the election. Mm-hmm. But yet the American intellectual and political class convinced themselves and a lot of their constituency that really this was what got, gave us Donald Trump.
0: Just to be clear, the, the video points in that direction, but it's not like a full takedown or any sort of detailed discussion or reckoning about this sort of uh, drift towards conspiracy theories to explain the results of the 2016 election. But I thought it was right. interesting it was mentioned. Now, now, now just, just two more points I really hope to address with you. Um, the first is that um, as a result, there has been a lot of social and economic issues, uh, systemic injustices in the United States that social activists have been talking about, systemic inequality, systemic racism, um, you know, a, a variety of of injustices that are linked to economic models that the mainstream of the Democratic Party has not addressed in any substantial way. Um, they were pushed by Sanders, of course. So, so can you just talk about the ways that this discussion around Russia um, sort of silences these larger discussions
1: about systemic inequalities? I think the best example or the best illustration I can provide of this is that amongst liberals in the U.S., there were bigger protests to save Jeff Sessions' job. Jeff Sessions is a racist attorney general under Trump. There were bigger liberal protests to save his job than there were to save, say, uh, the Iran nuclear deal or food stamp cuts, because, you know, uh, Trump cut food stamps, uh, or, say, protect health care. Bigger protests for Jeff Sessions than all of these things. And that's because when Jeff, you know, when Jeff Sessions was fired right after the midterms in November 2018, there was this widespread perception that this was going to imperil the Mueller investigation. This, like, this which was elevated to, like, mythical status. We were told every day that Mueller was going to bring Trump down, the walls are closing in, he's getting this much closer to uncovering the secret conspiracy. And so liberals were so bombarded with propaganda that literally more more energy was put into rallying for Jeff Sessions than to rally for health care or to protect food stamps or protect the Iran nuclear deal or the Paris climate accord. That to me is the ultimate illustration. This is all of the activist energy in the Trump era, which we saw early on. Remember all the rallies about the Muslim ban? people Of course. To the airport? You know what happened to that? It all got diverted into uh, pushing people to the couch so they could watch MSNBC and CNN and wait with bated breath as Robert Mueller got closer to uncovering the conspiracy. In the end, we know, we know what happens. Like Mueller didn't even know the details of his own investigation. He looked even to be a little bit senile when he testified uh, in July 2019. So, I mean, it's, um, it was an elite-driven resistance in that respect and that it completely gutted discussion of any issue that was important to people's lives and turned everything into this like bureaucratic, legal uh, like way of challenging Trump that was based on a stupid conspiracy theory. So no wonder it failed. And it's just amazing how successful it was. So,
0: I mean, and 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 in, in response to that, um, you could look at the grassroots mobilizations at a community-based level that were not funded by you know large NGOs or you know action funds, etc. That you know were involved in the mobilizations you're talking about around the uh, Mueller investigation and 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 the Attorney General Jeff Sessions, but. At a grassroots level, at a community-based level, in you know in 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 the Bronx or in Brooklyn or in Philadelphia, Chicago, um, you know there was there have been over the last years huge mobilizations uh, for justice for racial justice uh, against racist policies that continue, but there there seems to be a disconnect between a lot of the um, major organizations. Connected to the Democratic Party and these grassroots mobilizations?
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, I I, I hope uh, that I I qualified my statement about Jeff Sessions when I, like, I stressed liberal protests, liberal protests, not grassroots leftist protests. I meant liberal, you know, because of course, you know, people at the grassroots level were, of course, dealing with real issues. But it just shows the, the disconnect you're talking about that in terms of, you know, big liberal groups like. Move on, and you know, um, you know, any, any sort of umbrella of the Democratic Party was not talking about important stuff like that, but was talking about Jeff Sessions and Mueller and all this, um, and all this stupid stuff that, of course, did not. And, and, you, and you look at these protests, and they're all they're, they're not very big because who cares about any of this stuff? All these issues that Democrats rallied around are completely divorced from people's lives, and of course, thankfully, there was a grassroots effort to focus on real stuff. But it it just shows how disconnected the the, the Democratic Party is from real issues. And that's a problem because, of course, I I personally would rather have Joe Biden in office than Trump. But, you know, we all know that that doesn't mean that we're going to have a president who's in an administration that is connected to real people's lives. It just means we're going to have a president that's less awful. So it's an issue, and it will have to be addressed.
0: Thanks for that, Aaron. Just the last point. um, I was looking this morning at the um, uh, posts from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez about the mobilizations that they're trying to do in Texas, for example, to highlight uh, the importance of voting against Trump in regards to like issues around climate justice and racial justice, with also including a critique of, you know, mainstream Democrats. Um, I I was just wondering if you could 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 uh, share any thoughts about that decision. You know, I've noticed that, you know, people like AOC have decided, okay, well, we're, I'm going to just talk about these real systemic issues and, and mobilize against Trump as opposed to deeply critiquing, um, you know, say, for example, the, um, you know, what, what I think could be called fairly a conspiracy theory around Russian interference in the 2016 election that ob- obfuscated any real discussions of social inequality. Um, it just seems interesting that choice is to sort of sidestep that and and instead focus on real issues like Sanders did.
1: It's true. I mean, look, uh, I, you know, it's true that people like AOC and Bernie have not made Russia a part of their agenda, and that's good. At the same time, though, I would still criticize them for not questioning it. And in the case of Bernie, especially, I wish Bernie could have recognized early on that the Russia thing was not just a way, a fake way to resist Trump by the neoliberals. It was also a way for them to avoid becoming the party of Bernie Sanders in his movement. Because Bernie came close in 2016. His message had an appeal. There were, there were Trump voters who voted for uh, Trump, but would have voted for Bernie if he had been the nominee. So Bernie was a threat to them, and this Russia thing was a way for them to avoid having a serious discussion in the party about which direction they're going. Everything became about Russia was the reason we got Trump, not our own corruption and our own complicity in this you know, uh, uh, evil neoliberal system. So Bernie, I wish to have recognized this was not just a fake way to resist Trump, but also a real way to resist becoming Bernie's party. But Bernie didn't. He went along with it. And, you know, I feel for him, he's in a tough position, but that ultimately I think hurt him because look, when he was on the eve of the Nevada uh, caucus during the primaries, when Bernie was looking like he was the front, he was the front runner, he had come out ahead in um, Iowa and New Hampshire, and he was about to win Nevada. And on the eve of that, these anonymous intelligence officials leaked something saying that Russia is trying to uh, help Bernie. And that became this huge thing, you know, that, that became all all MSNBC was talking about. And of course they did that because Russiagate from the start was about protecting a neoliberal agenda at all costs and deflecting any kind of efforts to challenge it and to, and to question it. And so no wonder they use that against Bernie. And I do think that the more the closer to power people like AOC and Bernie get, I, I will not be surprised if the... You know, Russia boogeyman is, is used against them, or if not them, against any other progressive who actually tr- or or leftist who tries to you know seriously threaten power. Like the template has been established, and it's not going away. Uh,
0: thank you, Aaron. Is there any other things you would like to add about? I mean, the elections tomorrow. Uh, you're in New York uh, City, uh, so what are you looking at? What are you thinking about today?
1: Well, I just hope that you know, like in 2016, we were all convinced that. Trump wasn't going to win. And I just hope that we don't see a, a repeat. And uh, I certainly, you know, there's been a lot of debate on the left uh, in the last few months about, you know, whether it's worth voting for Biden. And I just think that it's so it's so weird what an outsized role Election Day plays into politics. Like, you know, a, an election every four years, as Chomsky says, is not the centerpiece of, leftist politics. I mean, change happens outside of it, but yet people see somehow voting for Biden as somehow undermining a leftist cause. And really, it's just one decision you make on one day. And it has, does have an impact. It's like, who would we rather be challenging? And who do we think we could be more successful under as leftists? Um, this like far right demagogue buffoon Or a weak centrist who, you know, is not like a very good communicator, is not very charismatic. uh, And, you know, is now facing a resurgent grassroots movement inside the Democratic Party. I mean, to me, it's such an easy choice. And also, I mean, even if you don't, in looking around the world, like, do we want to vote to keep denying Iranian kids medicine? That's what we're doing if we don't vote to defeat Trump. I mean, Biden would say he'd go back to the Iran nuclear deal. So. There's just so many issues where it's just so obvious that, although I have nothing positive to say about Biden's agenda, it's so obvious to me why things would be less awful if he was in there instead of Trump.
0: Thanks, Aaron. Thank you. Thanks. That was a conversation with Aaron Mate, uh, who's based in Brooklyn. I thought that was an important conversation to share in the context of the, um, of course, the US presidential election, but also the role that progressive uh, voices and social movements have been playing in terms of getting beyond this rhetoric anybody but Trump, but looking critically at the ways that. Um, Social and economic inequality, systemic racism are real issues that in the center of the Democratic Party, uh, that those issues haven't been addressed on a fundamental level. So I thought it'd be interesting to hear Aaron's perspective. Um, Over the last years, he has really tried to critique this placement of blame for Clinton losing the election in 2016 to Trump on Russian influence, rather an attempt beyond that to actually look at the reasons why a populist message uh, on, on the part of Trump and the Republicans was able to have impact with people um, due to economic and social injustice. So I wanted to share that. Moving on from that, uh, I wanted to share some audio um, from the social media feed of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I thought it was important to hear her voice. And the reason I wanted to share this after this conversation with Erin Maté, and I mentioned this also in, in my discussion, was I found it really important and moving to see this Attempt to always focus on social movement issues and community struggles from an elected uh, Congresswoman. It's very rare in in Canada. We see such few um, examples of um, politicians addressing these types of issues uh, in terms of social and economic injustice. And I found it really interesting and important um, the ways that. Um, people uh, like AOC, like Ilhan Omar, um, and many others like Bernie Sanders are mobilizing to vote against Trump. But this election is just seen as one action and one day within a larger continuum of struggle. So I found that interesting. And I want to share her voice too. So this is a clip of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez.
2: Normalizing, bringing the ruckus on the Democratic Party because that was not seen as okay for a very long time. It was seen as extremely taboo for a very long time. And, um, and it would result in so many people being ostracized and targeted. And now that that's been normalized, like every single one of us got our seats challenging the democratic establishment in one way or another. You know, we weren't the favored, you know, D trip candidate or we challenged incumbents or whatever that may be. And now from a grassroots perspective, people are realizing that oh, we can hold our party accountable and put the fire on our part on our own party. It doesn't have to just be Republicans. And in that way, we prevent the rightward drift of the Democratic Party, and people are, it's really completely reset the idea of one's relationship with the party that they vote for. And um, that would not have happened without you in 2016, again this year, you know, and and with so many other progressives as well and the work that they've been putting in. And, um, and I think it's really completely reset people's political imagination of, not only what we can achieve, but how we achieve it.
0: That was Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on the importance of voting out Trump, uh, on the struggle for social justice and how that relates to successfully uh, intervening in the political system. And I thought that was really interesting to- to broadcast in the context of Canada, because we see such little connection between social activism and political figures in Canada. Um, there's rhetoric um, uh, delivered uh, or directed towards you know social movements from let's say the certain uh, you know politicians within the NDP or within the Green Party, but there seems to be a much less deep connection between. Uh, social activists working on the ground to fight the specifics of injustice in regards to policy, um, whether it's around migrant justice, whether it's around the rights of prisoners, whether it's around police violence, whether it's around the rights of Indigenous people and in support of Indigenous sovereignty, there's a big disconnect. And I think that there's been an interesting and important uh, step that's been taken in the U.S. um, that has bridged some of that gap. Um, and so I wanted to play that clip from AOC. This is the Free City Radio podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph. Thanks for being with us. It's a fall day here in Montreal. It's um, November 2nd. And uh, this is the 14th edition of the show. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Um, so um, following up from that, I wanted to play a track um, that I heard uh, from a mix that was um, put together. Following up from that I wanted to play an excerpt of a mix that was put together uh, in support of the Dollarama workers uh, here in Montreal. So the central distribution center for all the Dollarama shops in North America is here in Montreal because the corporation is based here. And uh, that at that warehouse, there are many hundreds of workers uh, who are working in the context of the pandemic in very crowded conditions. Um, workers who are struggling also with systemic injustice, many who are new immigrants. There's also many asylum seekers, non-status people, international students. Um, there's a campaign that's ongoing to support these workers that's organized by the Immigrant Workers Center. Um, So I thought it'd be important to point to that campaign but also to highlight the fact that Montreal artists have been mobilizing to support the campaign for um, the rights of Dollarama workers. One of the ways in which that has been happening is artists have published an open letter but also DJs have been putting together mixes. Um, So this was a mix that was put together in support of Dollarama workers by Empress Cicillo, who is a local DJ and artist, Um, and this mix was hosted through Never Apart, and it was to express support uh, for the struggle for justice um, being pushed by Dollarama workers. This is an excerpt from the mix.
3: I'm a man of color. man of color. i
0: That was an excerpt from a mix by Empress Cicilo, uh, who is a local DJ and uh, artist um, and uh, that was put out to express support for Dollarama warehouse workers. Uh, there's an ongoing campaign uh, through the Immigrant Workers Center to support Dollarama warehouse workers. Um, just quickly i would say that it's important to understand that a lot a lot of these corporations these these conglomerate stores uh, use this policy for their warehouses where they basically don't directly employ people they use these temporary placement agencies is what they're called um to um employ workers which means non-permanent employment but legally it also means that a, a corporation like dollarama doesn't directly employ their warehouse workers and there's many hundreds um here in montreal and that means that a corporation like dollarama is skirting legal responsibility for the well-being of the workers and um what that means tangibly on the ground is very dangerous conditions also you have these temporary placement agencies who act as middle players between Dollarama and the workers uh sort of carving off Uh, funds that should be going towards the workers and and also what that means is that workers don't have a health plan they don't have proper health and safety these are really important issues Um, so i just wanted to highlight this and um, play a excerpt from a mix uh, in support of these dollarama workers and i'll continue to highlight this issue here on free city radio thanks for being with us today i'm your host stefan christoph and uh, next on the show, as mentioned in the introduction, I wanted to visit some voices uh, from a protest of the Guinean diaspora here in Montreal that took place over the weekend. Um, over a week ago, there was a presidential election in Guinea uh, and the declared victor, uh, according to the president, is Alfa Condé. but that uh, has been deeply contested. I think it's important to note that Over the past year, there has been sustained protests in Guinea against Alpha Condé because he changed the constitution to allow for him to run for a third term. Um, He has already been president for two terms. Now, in response, there's been protests against the changing of the constitution um, and. Uh, there's a coalition that has been organizing these protests called FNDC, which is the Front National pour la Défense de la Constitution. That's the National Front for the Defense of the Constitution. Um, And that has meant that Ghanaians in the diaspora have been protesting also. International human rights groups like Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International have been vocally speaking about and speaking out about uh, human rights abuses that have been uh, committed Targeting protesters, people on the streets calling for justice, and I think that it's really important to look at this issue. It's not covered strongly in the media, and I, I would I would also highlight that there's a strong connection between, you know, Quebec and Guinea, between France and Guinea, between many countries because it is one of the largest producers in the world of bauxite. Um, It's also a a huge um, uh, territory of resources where many international corporations operate huge mines. Um, There's very corrupt circumstances, which also have been the um, subject of protest in Guinea. And what we do see is like not a lot of economic development taking place as a result of these massive mining projects in Guinea. So... I think that's important to look at. And uh, I wanted to go to the protest uh, this past Saturday in Montreal to support and also to record a few voices. Um, the exchanges I did are in French, um, but I will summarize um, what was said briefly. This is the first exchange.
4: Okay, uh, aujourd'hui, c'est une action uh, de la communauté uh, Emily Gamelin, qui parlait de la situation guénée maintenant. Um, une élection uh, récente uh, présidentielle euh um En réponse à ça, beaucoup de gens manifestaient à Guinée contre un troisième mandat pour Alpha Condé et contre les violations des de droits humains. Euh, bonjour, euh, bonjour, vous êtes ici euh, pourquoi et aussi expliquer un peu de les contextes. Merci.
5: Alors bonjour, moi c'est Madou Diallo, je suis résident permanent au Canada depuis deux ans et demi. Euh, nous sommes là en fait à la suite d'une élection qui s'est déroulée en Guinée au mois d'octobre, là le 18 octobre, à laquelle l'opposition a gagné, euh, lors de laquelle l'opposition a gagné, mais que le coup de pouvoir euh, est en train de, d'essayer de faire un hold-up électoral. Donc on est en train de manifester, parce qu'à la suite des manifestations de l'opposition, justement pour défendre sa victoire, il y a eu beaucoup d'assassinats, beaucoup de personnes tuées, des enfants de moins de 3, de 3 ans et, et plus, qui ont été tuer des jeunes filles et puis des femmes qui ont été violées, des des magasins qui ont été détruits, euh, des maisons qui ont été violées et puis euh, une famille même qui a été brûlée vive dans sa concession. Donc on est là pour dénoncer tout ça, pour dire, pour faire connaître au monde entier que la Guinée vit très mal cette situation et que nous avons besoin d'aide, nous avons besoin d'aide de la communauté internationale du Canada, notre pays de résidence pour vraiment Euh, pour vraiment euh, mettre la pression sur le gouvernement guinéen pour que une fois, pour qu'elle accepte, pour qu'il accepte cette alternance que tout le monde veut aujourd'hui. Et euh, pourquoi c'est important pour les gens au
4: Canada voir et comprendre les situations en Guinée ben, Par exemple, le Canada a beaucoup d'intérêts miniers en Guinée. Euh, pourquoi ça c'est une, euh, une chose importante ben, C'est clair aujourd'hui, les diasporas guinéennes mobilisées Ben, euh, juste just expliquer un peu sur cet point-là.
5: Oui, c'est important. C'est important à la fois pour le Canada en particulier, mais pour le monde occidental, dans la mesure où euh, quand il ne va pas en Guinée. Euh, les, les jeunes sont poussés à aller vers l'exil. Aujourd'hui, euh, euh, les, Guinéens, euh, les Guinéens, en termes de demande d'asile politique en France, par exemple, la Guinée est, est deuxième. En termes de demandeurs mineurs d'asile, la Guinée est premier dans le monde entier, euh, en France en tout cas. Donc, c'est important que le Canada et que les autres pays aussi sachent que c'est important pour qu'ils nous viennent en aide, parce que nous regorgeons de beaucoup de richesses naturelles, minières, à laquelle, qui peuvent être mis à la disposition du monde occidental, en contrepartie pour nous aider à nous développer, pour vraiment un partage de, de, de la richesse et puis un partenariat gagnant-gagnant. Donc c'est très important pour nous, mais aussi pour le Canada qui est notre pays de résidence, parce que si ça ne va pas chez nous, eh bien on fera tout pour que tout le monde vienne ici. Et C'est un peu ça.
4: Et ça c'est aussi les contextes. Beaucoup de Guinéens prennent les, ben, dans, dans un sens économique, dans un sens politique, beaucoup de Guinéens sortis les pays pour les, en, en face de cette crise. Ça c'est créé un contexte, les situations politiques à Guinée, créé un contexte pour les réfugiés guinéens. Ça c'est une chose importante pour les gens comprendre, je pense.
5: Oui, parce que parce que aujourd'hui il y a beaucoup de pays, il y a beaucoup de pays qui se Qui 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 qui, qui voient en réalité que qui voit en réalité que les Guinéens demandent de plus en plus il y a plus de, de plus en plus de Guinéens qui demandent l'asile politique oui, c'est et c'est pas étonnant parce que personne n'a envie en réalité de partir de chez lui il y en a pas un oui. il y en a pas un en France quand ça n'allait pas en, en Espagne tous les Espagnols sont allés en France oui, oui. quand ça n'allait pas en, en Italie tous les Italiens sont partis en France oui. donc c'est un peu ça Quand ça ne va pas, les gens sont obligés de bouger, de quitter, d'aller ailleurs. Donc, euh, donc c'est très important pour que, pour le monde occidental de comprendre cet état de fait et par conséquent de nous aider de, de vraiment sortir de cette, de, 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 de cette, de cette auberge que oui. moi je considère comme étant une auberge. Bonjour. Merci beaucoup. De rien, merci. merci.
0: That was an exchange I recorded at the protest uh, of the Ghanaian diaspora here in Montreal. And you know some of the major points we heard were basically that you know um, Ghanaians don't support the changing of this constitution. Um, this is a violation of their rights. and it's very important, this protester says, to stand up in the diaspora internationally and to draw attention to the situation in Guinea um, and the human rights abuses that are taking place in Guinea. And, and, and we hear about the fact that it's, it's seen as a duty, as a responsibility to address this issue. And I spoke with another, uh, Participant in the rally who actually has been involved in struggling against deportations to Guinea because many members of the Ghanaian diaspora are facing removal from Canada. Their refugee claims have not been accepted, and you know what has resulted is that there's many, many Ghanaian asylum seekers who are facing very precarious situation and um, deportation and detention. Um, and because Canada hasn't recognized the political turbulence in Guinea, Um, you know, some people have commented, uh, some authors have written uh, opinion pieces, including writer Eve Engler, that highlights the fact that Canadian mining companies have vested interest in Guinea, and acknowledging uh, the crisis of human rights that has been documented by Amnesty International would also mean acknowledging some sort of Uh, political relationship with guinea due to massive economic investment and by extension there would be uh, an importance in acknowledging the human rights abuses that have been taking place in the country human rights watch has also documented this so i wanted to share this voice this is another uh, voice of protest here in the guinean diaspora here in montreal
4: OK, euh, aujourd'hui, les communautés guénéennes s'est ressemblée euh, à Kari Ami- Emily Gamala pour protester les injusti- injustices, en fait, à Guinée. Pourquoi vous, vous êtes ici Pourquoi euh, c- pourquoi c'est important que vous êtes là ce matin
6: Nous sommes là ici pour non seulement pour euh, être euh, au, avec euh, nos compatriotes qui se trouvent au pays et encore euh, dénoncer ce qui se passe, les théories... Et la dictature d'Alpha Condé, nous sommes là pour demander à tous les Guinéens, toutes les personnes qui ont de paix et de justice de se résoudre à nous pour, pour vraiment dénoncer les théories qui se passent en Guinée-Conakry.
4: Oui, et qu'est-ce qui se passe dans les dernières deux semaines
6: Oui, il y a eu des, on dit, des élections présidentielles, ça s'était passé le 18, mais le lendemain, il y a eu des manifestations, donc il y a eu plus de 30 morts à nos jours. Donc c'est juste là pour ça qu'on est venu ici, pour être pour être avec eux. Ok, ouais.
4: pour euh, exprimer la, solidarité. la solidarité, oui. Et pourquoi c'est important à Montréal pour faire une action
6: C'est parce qu'on on compte beaucoup sur le Canada aussi, parce que le Canada, c'est un pays de droits, un pays de liberté. Donc, euh, c'est pour cela il est très important de, de résoudre à nous pour montrer à l'opinion nationale, donc de ne pas rester, rester seulement parler, mais c'est juste montrer aux gens qu'est-ce qui se passe au pays.
0: Merci, mon ami. That was uh, a member of the Ghanaian diaspora here in Montreal on the streets this past Saturday uh, voicing um, protests um, to the election to a third term of the Ghanaian president, Alpha Condi. This issue is not in the news, uh, in the Western press at least, uh, to some degree in France. But, um, you know, I think it's really important to look at the political crises that exist within the context of um, West Africa, and particularly because it's important, but also that Western mining corporations, Canadian mining corporations, have deep economic interests in this region. And, you know, there's the question of fairness in regards to the um, reality that, you know, not a lot of the profits of these mining operations on these African territories are going back into the communities that um, that are living on the land where these resources come from, but also that um, there's a reason why people are leaving you know, and fleeing um, economic destitution and political violence that we heard about before. And this is the case of Guinea. But I think there are similar patterns we see in West Africa in relation to political violence, in relation to mining. Uh, Mining Watch Canada has done some really important work on this issue um, more generally. So I just wanted to share that. Um, Thanks for tuning in uh, to the podcast today. Um, It's been a pleasure to share these voices with you. Uh, Tomorrow is the U.S. election. So definitely everybody's going to be watching that. Um, So I'll have another podcast out next week, next Monday. Um, So things will be quite different then uh, in terms of the political discussion and focus points that um, will be discussed in the mainstream media. But, you know, as usual here on Free City Radio, I wanted to highlight and I will again, grassroots voices, community voices looking at uh, struggles that are taking place in our community and also internationally that are less prominent within the uh, mainstream news cycle. Um, So, yeah, thanks for tuning in. I will go out with a piece of music. I wanted to uh, share a piece of music from a recent release that my brother worked on, Jordan Kristoff. So here it is. Uh, You look up his work online. It's just beautiful. Jordan Kristoff is his name. And uh, for Free City Radio, um, you can subscribe. We're on Free City Radio through Apple Podcasts. Uh, If you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating. It'd be really, really... uh, Uh, thankful for that. And subscribe, tell your friends. I'm just doing this at home. It's a modest effort. So thank you to everybody who's taken the time to listen. Okay, take it easy.